Um, if you're new to Midtown, my name is Matt Avery. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Caroline's going to uh, read our passage this morning. We're in Luke. Uh, yeah, come on. Uh, we're in Luke 4, 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship, worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest the strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportunity time, opportune time. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning and we are hungry. Uh, we, are, we are more hungry than we know or, or imagine. And so we trust that you will fill us because you promised to do that and you always keep your promises. And so open our eyes, open our hearts to you and, and what you have for us. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen. So this week I was looking around online and I found the U.S. Forest Service has a comment place. I don't know how people send these comments in, but it's like feedback for their time in the national parks and on the trails. And I want you to listen to some of these comments. Somebody wrote in and asked for them to change the trail so that there were less inclines. <laughs> Somebody asked to install an escalator. Somebody told them that a, a deer had come in the middle of the night and eaten their jar of pickles and asked for reimbursement. And then people were asking for things like uh, somebody to come and spray for mosquitoes and things like that. So you hear those comments and you're like, that's ridiculous. And so I'm just going to ask you in your own head, why, why are those comments ridiculous? And now that you've thought about that, I hope you're ready to look in the mirror and tell yourself that some of your comments are ridiculous because I think that Jesus is calling us to have a similar kind of engagement with the wilderness here. Uh, we are, if you're joining us for the first time or you weren't here last week, we started a new series called Meetings with Jesus. And we're walking through the Gospel of Luke and looking at particular interactions Jesus has with people and parables that he shares um, so that we can understand what is his mission? What has he come to do and how is he going to do it? And so last week, we actually got to see his mission. He shared his mission. I've come to give sight to the blind. I've come to give abundance to the poor. I've come to set the captives free. And so we're actually backing up and we're looking at this, this passage today that, that comes right before what we looked at last week. And the reason we're doing this um, 
is it's sort of like it for Harry Potter fans out there when Harry gets to look into the Pensieve, this place where you can see other people's memories and you kind of live through them so that you can study them and see what actually happened. Um, it's kind of like we're going to do this with Jesus because we're, we're looking at him and we see him in the, in the wilderness and God sent him into the wilderness and he's engaging with Satan there. And we're like, why is he there? What is he doing? This is weird. And then we're able to see and realize, oh, he's there for me. Like he, he, his father sent him into the wilderness to be hungry for 40 days and be tempted by the evil one for me. And he went and he stayed for me. And so part of what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is actually accomplishing his mission. This is part of the process of how he accomplishes his mission to set us free. But he's also doing something else. He is showing us how to live in the wilderness. He's shown us what to do with our hunger because all of us are hungry. We are so hungry. We are hungry for many, many things. And when we experience hunger, the evil one comes and wants to interpret our hunger for us. Oh, you're hungry? Oh, here's what that means. Here's what that means that you need. Here's what that means about how God thinks about you, of whether he really does or doesn't love you. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I, I want you to come back and watch this because God is the only one who can interpret your hunger for you. And so, so three things we want to look at today. Um, the first thing I'm going to call hot Cheetos and Takis. Okay, the second point we're going to look at is, is what I'm going to call a better cardboard box. And lastly, uh, our third point is Toons is the driving cat. Okay, so we're going to start here. Uh, our first point, hot Cheetos and Takis. Um, I remember getting to spend some time in the inner city, and we were learning about urban farming and this, the whole concept of food deserts. And, and the idea is that in these areas of inner city poverty, um, they're food deserts where people can't get fresh food or it's really hard for them to get fresh, affordable food. And so a lot of kids are living off of hot Cheetos and Takis, um, stuff that they can find at the convenience stores. And of course, that's really bad for you. But when you get used to eating that and that's all you know, um, they talked about the, this guy who had this urban farm was talking about this concept of eating for your mouth and learning how to eat for your stomach. Like, we are so trained to eat for our mouths of what tastes good and what we're used to, but we need to learn how to eat for our stomachs of what we actually need, and then that's going to change our taste. And so here in this first temptation, uh, the evil one says, if you're the son of God, so we're starting by, by casting doubt on something that's already settled, um, if you're the son of God, then you've been out here for 40 days with nothing to eat. Surely you could just turn one stone into a loaf of bread. And we can go a couple different directions with this, AKA, um, surely if you're the son of God, you have the ability to meet at least that basic need, right? Like you, you could give yourself one loaf of bread. And also, if you're God's son, like surely he's gonna be okay with you making a loaf of bread for yourself, right? Oh, he's not? Oh, he's not okay with you meeting your most basic need after 40 days of hunger? Oh, is that love? Does your father really love you? 
And where, where he's going with this, he's essentially saying this. He wants you and I to believe that unsatisfied hunger is never good. We should always panic when we, have, when we are experiencing unsatisfied hunger. That is what the evil one is selling in this first temptation. And so uh, Jesus's response is instructive for us to say, no, 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 that's not reality. See, Jesus is, we'll tell you a brief excursion here. Um, Jesus' response to Satan in all three of these temptations that are shared with us in this passage, he always goes to the word of God. And you can hear that in a really legalistic way, but I want you to hear it in a really freeing way. Um, Isaiah 48 says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And he's saying that you can trust the character of God so that if he has said something and has made a promise, he will fulfill it and you can stand on that. So you don't have to do all these mental gymnastics and follow people down these really windy roads of reasoning and analytics. You can just take what God says about something and rest on that. And that's where you're going to find peace. That's where you're going to find rest. That's where you're going to find life and health. Okay. And so these passages that he pulls from are from Deuteronomy chapter six and eight. And there's a reason he's pulling from these passages, because this is the time when God has freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And they have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land. And they are on the edge of the promised land and they are about to enter in. Okay, so this is where Jesus is, is pulling these passages. And so the way that he responds to the evil one who's trying to say that unsatisfied hunger is never good. Jesus says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. That whole verse is Deuteronomy 8.3 and it says this. And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, this, this bread that came down from heaven that God made for his people, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And he's telling us something really important about hunger here. Hunger is a good thing. Hunger is a good thing. What happens that warps everything is how we misinterpret hunger and how we try to fill it on our own terms. But hunger is a good thing because it reveals what we were made for. As John said so beautifully in the call to worship, hunger is something that God has put in us to draw us to the satisfaction of our hunger, which is him. And so when he says here that he let you hunger, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you because he wants to satisfy you with food that you know nothing about. He wants to satisfy you and I with food that we cannot provide for ourselves. And so when God lets his people hunger, it's for good purposes. He will always meet our needs, but in meeting the deeper needs, sometimes the surface needs have to go unmet. The hungers have to go unsatisfied for a time or a season or maybe our entire life on this earth because he is always meeting our deeper needs. We can always trust him in that. And, and something to illustrate this point is um, Friday night, uh, my, my wife Lee and I had a date night to City House. It was our first time ever going there. Thought it was pretty good. Um, 
I did a really good job Friday night. There have been times in the past where I've not done a good job of preparing for those date nights because what happens is we have little kids and a lot of times we eat dinner now at five or 5.30, which is not dinner time, but that's where life is. And we will go on these dates and go at seven or 7.30. And so I'm so hungry. And so what ends up happening is I say, oh, I'll just have a little bit of something to tide me over. And then I eat a whole box of wheat thins and then I go to dinner and I'm not even hungry and I've ruined it, right? Like the whole reason I'm there is to have this amazing meal, this amazing feast, and I'm not even hungry anymore. That's what we're talking about. It's like hunger is good. Hunger is good. And when I try to satisfy it on my own terms, that's bad because God is doing something in that hunger. So what does this mean for us? Well, I want you to stop and think about your hunger that you're experiencing right now. I want you to think about what are your desires that are unmet right now? What are, it can be work-related, it can be relationship-related, whatever it is. What is the hunger or hungers that you are experiencing right now? And then once you have that in your mind, I want to ask you something. Who are you allowing to interpret your hunger? Whose voice are you listening to when they tell you what that hunger means, what it means about you, what it says about God. Because the evil one's gonna say, if you're really God's child and you have these desires, then surely, surely you should meet them on your own terms. I'll share a story from my life this past week. So some of y'all know we're planning Congregation 5 and I had a few conversations with people this week where two things happened. One was this person is sharing with me and they and I both are waiting on me to say something really profound as a pastor to speak into their situation. And I didn't have anything to say. I didn't know what to say. And the evil one can start to say, hey, if you're a pastor, you should have probably known what to say to that person. And then we start talking about Congregation 5, and it's like people are, you know, they're curious, but they're also kind of asking me to broker little deals with them of like, hey, if you can tell me that Congregation 5 is going to be like this, then we'll probably come. And it's like, oh, well, if you're a church planner and a leader, then you'll probably plan a church where you can meet all those needs. But the reality is God loves me. And he leaves hunger there. And so if I didn't know what to say, I probably didn't need to say anything. But it's so easy to walk into that lie and let somebody else interpret that suffering, interpret that hunger. Okay, so, so now we're moving on to the second point, what I'm going to call a better cardboard box. And, and what the evil one is trying to sell Jesus and to sell us with this second temptation is it, it would be like uh, a homeless person believing that their, their main problem is that the cardboard box that they have is not made out of sturdy enough cardboard. And that if they just had a better cardboard box, then everything would be okay. Um, that it's all about our circumstances. You know, he transitions from the first temptation to the second one, I think by saying, okay, so if a loaf of bread is a problem, then have I got a deal for you? Because now we're not even gonna worry about bread because I'm going to give you everything. All the kingdoms of this world and all of their authority and all of their glory, I'm going to give to you. 
if you'll just worship me. And again, Jesus is going back to Deuteronomy and pulling from this because what the evil one is saying is if you will be my slave, then I'll give you all of this. Because what, what you really need is new circumstances. You're out here in the wilderness where you don't have, and I'll give you everything. Um, but you'll just be my slave. And Jesus is, is, is pulling back to say, hey, Egypt w- could have been a pretty cool place if you were the Pharaoh. But when you go back as a slave, it's not going to be cool from your vantage point. So this change of circumstances is, is not really a great deal because... Um, our, our greatest problem is not our circumstances, it's us. This is probably bad, but it makes me think about Tommy Boy where Chris Farley looks at David Spade and says, does this tie make my face look fat? And he says, no, your face makes your face look fat. Like, it's not your circumstances, it's you. And like, even if we change your circumstances... Like, think about, you know, whether it's your work or relationships or whatever. If you think about best case scenario that you were hoping and working toward, I'm telling y'all, if you get whatever that is, you are still going to be unhappy because you are the one that's still there. And we, we've got bigger fish to fry than circumstances. And that's what Jesus is, is working on with us. Our greatest problem is not that we lack something. It's that we are who we are. And so in your life, um, are you at a place where you believe that your biggest problem is your circumstances? Or has Jesus opened your eyes enough to show you that it's really you and that God uses suffering and hunger redemptively to, to do something that we can't do, which is to change us and meet, meet a deeper need than we even realized that we had? You know, because a lot of the way that we live our lives is we're just looking for a, a better cardboard box. And he's like, no, no, man, you, you need a home. You need to get off the street. We're working on something totally different here. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, these, this area of scripture that Jesus is pulling from, it says, the Lord commended, commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, it will be righteousness for us. Everything that God is doing in our lives, everything that he is allowing in our lives, it is for our good always because he is doing something in us. We are gonna survive because it will be our righteousness. He is, he's moving us toward righteousness. He is transforming us. He is freeing us from the slavery that we have to sin and death and our own selves. Also from this chapter is, is what's it's called the Shema, the Jews called the Shema, where it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall worship him with all of your heart and soul and might. He's saying, don't, <laughs> it's not about your circumstances. I want you to lean a thousand percent into loving God and seeking him because that is where your life will be found. That is where you will be set free. That is where you will find abundance. That is where you will no longer be blind, but you will see and you will understand. And so Jesus is leading us to this place to lean into what God has for us, um, even if we don't understand it. It's not 
about avoiding pain and suffering at all costs. As soon as I get done with this service, I'm going back to my house and my family and I are going to Disney World. We have a three and a half year old. We have a one and a half. He doesn't get to go. A three and a half year old and a five and a half year old. And I'm going to tell you, when I go to Disney World with these two boys, um, I'm going to suffer probably for that, <laughs> right? But the answer is not f- for me to get to go to Disney World by myself without my kids, right? That's not the answer. There might be less suffering, but that's not where life is going to be found. God is doing something good in the suffering that comes along with me taking my three and a half year old and five and a half year old sons to Disney World. And he's doing something good in our lives when, when he is allowing suffering. Our, our third point here, Toons is the driving cat. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? A few people. <laughs> if you're SNL fans, this was like late 80s, early 90s. And it was this absolutely ridiculous recurring sketch where there is a stuffed cat that uh, is named Toonses that somebody owns this cat and they believe that he knows how to drive. And so Toonses always comes and picks him up in the car and ends up driving him off a cliff because he actually can't drive. And then you see the car explode. Um, and the idea here is that the evil one in this third temptation comes to, to Jesus and he says, you know, if, if God really loves you, if you really are the son of God, then it's, here's, here's what it says in his word that he's going to do. So why don't you throw yourself off the top of this t- temple and make him catch you and prove that he really loves you? Why don't you sit in the driver's seat, Tunces, and why don't you decide whether God loves you and make him prove it to you? And man, this is uh, sneaky, sneaky, because he's, the evil one's quoting Psalm 91, but he's totally bastardizing it, pulling it out of context because that Psalm is about how God loves and takes care of his people. But what he's, what he's promoting here is not love. This is manipulation that comes from mistrust and relational distance. And so the problem with buying what Satan is selling here and, and reinterpreting God's love in this way, where I'm sitting in the driver's seat and I get to decide in every situation whether God really loves me or not, if he comes through for me on my terms, is that I am guaranteed to never, ever experience the love of God, ever. Why is that? Because this is the wilderness, and my life will always be full of suffering. And so even if he comes through for me on my terms today, I'm going to have new suffering tomorrow, and I'm going to put him right back on the chopping block. And he's going to have to prove it again and again and again, but we don't ever get past the point of proving to where we're actually in a relationship And I'm experiencing the love of God. Because guess what? I don't get to decide how God loves me or whether he loves me on my terms. I have to trust him and and let him tell me that he does and show me on his terms. Because me deciding what love would really look like is actually what got me into this mess in the first place. I don't know. I'm Toonses. I can't drive a car. I keep wrecking it off a cliff. And so why am I the one who should know how to prove whether God loves me or not? And again, Jesus leads us back to the word and just says, man, God's word is eternal and we can can rest on that. 
So in our life, when we, you know, if you think about the first temptation was dealing with circumstances that we can change, like, hey, if you're the son of God, you should change this and fulfill these desires on your own terms. Um, this third temptation is more kind of dealing with circumstances that we can't change. You know, we can't do anything about it. So if God really loves you, then he'll change them for you. And so I, I want you to stop and think about your, your own circumstances like this here. What are those places in your life, these circumstances that you can't change that are bringing you a lot of pain? Un unfulfilled desires, unmet hungers. It can be something really hard that you're going through. It can be something really hard that a loved one is going through. But whatever that is that you feel like is out of your control that you really need to change, I want you to, to think of what that is. And then I want you to, to ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to help you think about this. Are your prayers about these things really just thinly veiled threats and demands to God? Or are they coming from a place of trust? Are you offering those up to your heavenly father because you know that he hears you and you know that he loves you? Or are they coming from a place of testing? And maybe for some of y'all, we're so past this place that we're not even praying anymore and we're just cold and hard and cynical because we have let somebody else interpret our hunger for us and we are way, way, way down the road in a bad place. That's really not true. We're believing a lie about who God is and, and whether he loves us or not. Because what Psalm 91 is really getting at, this passage that the evil one rips out of context, is God saying, hey, I do love you and I can keep you from all suffering but the suffering that I allow into your life is for your good. And so you have to trust me. You cannot trust yourself. You have to trust me that the suffering that I'm allowing in has a purpose and I do love you and I am leading you to the promised land. And there is a day coming where you, all of your hunger will be satisfied fully. But you, you know, going back to our I asked you to think about those ridiculous comments from the U.S. Forest Service. Um, it's ridiculous for people to, to want an escalator in the woods because there is a magic about being in the woods. What, what makes being in the woods so great? Why do, why do people go into the woods? It's to find something deeper than an escalator. So it's just... We, we need a shift. We need a Holy Spirit-fueled shift in the way that we understand where we are. This is not our home. But God is doing something, and he will satisfy us. But it won't be the ultimate satisfaction of everything because he says that day's coming. There is a promised land. We're not in it right now. Right now, we're in the war zone. We're in the wilderness. And I will not leave you, just like the Holy Spirit was with Jesus this entire time. He is with us this entire time because what Jesus did when he walked through these woods, denying himself over these 40 days, is he, is he is accomplishing freedom for us. And at the end of all these temptations, it says that the evil one departed from him because Jesus emerged victorious. 
And he said, this is a preview of coming attractions because I'm going to continue to deny myself and, and look to a deeper hunger to get satisfied. And that's what's going to allow me to go to the cross and suffer in your place so that you can have your hunger filled for the very first time ever. Jesus says in, in John 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. And if you come and feed on me, you will never hunger again. Jesus has come to take away our hunger by giving us himself and to free us from this prison in the wilderness and free us from these voices that are telling us lies that are leading us into deeper slavery. He's come to set us free. And so today we have this beautiful gift of getting to celebrate that through communion. We get to come to the table and Jesus meets us here in our hunger. I want to read you all this from from Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is not waiting for you to clean yourself up and get your act together and stop taking the bait that the evil one throws out to you and stop eating your wheat thins. He said, I know how hard it is to live in the wilderness. I have faced every temptation that you will face. And guess what? I emerged victorious so you don't have to. I denied myself so that you could have life and it's not dependent on you. All I'm asking you to do is just trust me. Just follow me. That's what this table that we're coming to is for everyone. Everyone who knows that they are hungry. Everyone who knows that they are in desperate need of somebody outside of themselves to save them. And that Jesus is that savior. And if you are in that place, he says, come to the table and eat. And this is a foretaste of the meal that is going to satisfy your hunger forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, it says that he was with his disciples in the upper room and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. And you're going to need sustenance in the wilderness. And so you take this and feed on me. And this wine that's poured out is my blood of this new covenant that is going to cleanse you and give you new life. And so drink this blood. This is how you will be satisfied. It's not with changing circumstances. It's with me. And so, so what we're going to do is um, I'm going to pray for us. And after we do that, um, people are going to come up and, and be ready to serve elements. And we invite you to come up to these kneelers. Uh, if you would just use the center aisle and this, this far aisle over here to come forward and just kneel down. <clears throat> and when you are ready to receive the elements, you can place your hands out like this and then uh, you'll be served. And if you want someone to pray for you, then you'll just cross your arms and receive prayer. And then when you file out, you can use this far aisle and we're going to open these doors and you go outside and come around the back that way. Um, but just know that Jesus is here to meet your hunger. And God loves you very much. And he is inviting you to, to dine with him. Father,
you are a good father. And as a good father, sometimes you do things that we don't want because it's what's best for us. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to, to see you, to believe you. Lord, we are weary and worn out by, by walking through the wilderness. Um, and thank you for, for being with us always and never leaving us and for coming and doing everything that was necessary to satisfy our hunger, Lord. Lead us to you. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.